Hey, everybody, and welcome back into Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me. Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Uh, it's like the best day ever because this is going to be our first podcast in quite a while where I don't even know that we'll mention the virus outside of me mentioning it right now. We got so much football to talk about. It feels like 2020 is over. It does. Um, something that is not over but is just beginning is our promos for uh, Built Bar again, and I'll talk about Built Bar in just a bit. We're going to be getting some Built Bars in the mail. You and I will as samples, and I can't wait. I'm already oh, smacking my yes. lips, baby. Um, yes. Jimmy, 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 can't you see that somehow Jalen Milrose words just hypnotize me? Uh, a commitment from a big quarterback out in Texas, and I'm digging it. Yeah, uh, very excited. Uh, like Milrow all along. Uh, watched more tape extensively last night and this morning. Uh, you know, I, I think for fans that haven't seen the tape or, or don't watch a lot of high school tape, uh, <laughs> no, no one watches as much as I do, especially these days. But, uh, you know, the, the best thing to tell you guys that haven't seen him is this is Jalen Hurts. And, and, and I mean that, of course, is a 100% compliment. You're talking about one of the most accomplished college football quarterbacks in history who was a second-round pick in the NFL. So, of course, it's a compliment. Uh, I also think he could have a career very similar to Jalen in, in the sense that when he shows up, his his obvious talent, his obvious uh, weapon is is the legs. And it's not like we signed him just to you know take snaps and run around. That's not it at all. I'm just saying he he's a major threat with with the ball in his hands. And, and what reminds me so much of Jalen, it's not just that the kid's a great athlete. He's like the same size as Jalen. He runs a similar speed, probably, if anything, a step or two steps faster. If anything, he's faster. But why he's most similar to Jalen is this kid is strong. He, you know how Jalen could like squat a million pounds? Jalen yeah. Milrow is strong, like Kendrick Blockshire strong. So Milrow is going to run through tackles. He just also happens to be a little faster than Hurts at the same stage. So I won't be shocked if at the end of training with Alabama for, for three, four, five years, if Milrow doesn't leave Alabama as a 4-4 guy. I mean, he, he, he's that fast, whereas Jalen Hurts, I think, ran something like a 4-5-8 in Indianapolis. I think, I think Milrow is going to be a little faster than that. Now, as a passer, um, what I see is upside. He is far from a polished product, just like Jalen Hurts when we got him out of high school, where – okay, clearly this guy has arm talent. He has arm strength. He has the ability to make just about every throw there is. Uh, but it, 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 he's going to need some polish. He'll need some development. He's a kid that's going to start out at a certain spot and then get better the next year and better the next year and then better the next year. I mean, exactly like Hertz did. Uh, the last thing is, even though this is not a coach's son, uh, like Hertz was, uh, when you watch Milrow play in high school, he clearly has command and poise. It balls out on the film. Th this kid sees the field. He knows what's going on. He's instinctive, uh, knows what to do. And, and why I think he's going to be successful, Luke, is even though he can take off and make a huge play anytime he wants with his legs, I see a kid who is scrambling to throw. And, and that's where I see as someone that evaluates quarterbacks every day now with, with, with my new part-time job. Um, that's what I look for with these kids with talented legs. Are you a scrambler 
or do you scramble to throw? Do you use your athleticism to buy yourself more time to make a play with your arm? Because kids that do that, they're quarterbacks, not just athletes. And this kid's a quarterback. I agree. I, I watched a, a lot of film on him last night, too. Um, in terms of the Jalen Hurts comparison, I think it's it's just going to be there. I mean, both kids from Texas, both kids African-American, um, both kids need some work in their passing game. There's, there's no doubt about that. But it is he is incredibly athletic, and I found him to be more elusive than Hurts. Um, although the thing about Jalen that was weird, he just would glide. And he seemed to have more football speed than he did the 40 speed. Um, and maybe it's because when guys are running the 40, maybe this is the dumbest theory ever, but it just popped in my head. Maybe when guys are running the 40 and they've got all their, their underarm garment. And, whoa, where are you? Are you at a Walmart? <laughs> exactly. Target. Target. Um, okay. So um, when guys are running the 40. That was momentary. <laughs> when guys are running the 40 with their Under Armour, you know, skin tight stuff on and their track shoes and their, you know, everything's lightweight, you know, and they can, when they, when they run the 40 then, um, you know, they can usually go a little faster. But see, with Hertz, he's so strong. Maybe he's able to run faster than you think as a football player because he's got all the pads and helmets. And so whereas that weight usually brings somebody down with Hertz, it doesn't affect his speed. So maybe his four five eight is a legit, hey, I'm running in pads four five eight versus a hey, I'm running on a track in perfect conditions with very little clothing on four five eight. Um, <laughs> no, I love that. You say you're, you know, that was off the top of your head. I, I couldn't agree more. That's a real thing. I just call it carrying your pads well. And great, great observation. Jalen Hurts carried his pads as well as anybody running with the football you'd see. Uh, I don't think the pads slowed him down. But, you know, I'm a huge – what I'm about to say sounds like I poo-poo all this 40-time stuff. I'm actually a huge fan of the 40 as a great tool to evaluate how a player is, is going to perform at the next level. I'm a big 40 fan. But we just have to put it in perspective. We have to remember this. Running the 40 is a track and field event. It's a track and field event. It, it has a lot to do with your start, which is a track. It's a trained method of, of being a good track and field star. It has nothing to do with football. Your start in track and field has zero to do with football. It's a track and field skill. So we... You know, we have football and we have track and field. And for some reason, we use a track and field thing to determine how good a football player you might be. The fact of the matter is very rarely in football, I wouldn't say very rarely, but it's not often in football that you run 40 yards from a crouched position in a straight line. Football is not played in a straight line like the 40 is. So there's track speed, there's football speed. There is a correlation, but you can't make too much of it because you're just talking about two different disciplines. Yeah, and um, I think the elusiveness is probably even more important because yes. to get to the ability to be able to run the 40. See, here's the thing. Like when somebody in football, uh, you know, unless it's like Jonathan Allen against Ole Miss, um, they're not going to be caught. It's tough to catch somebody from behind. Um, and – I, I mean, even if you're a four or five guy and they're a four or nine guy, it's, it's difficult. Um, yep. And so 
when it, you're, you're right about the 40, you're not running a straight line 40 very much. You have to be able to get by the guy and then have that burst. I'm, I'm more concerned about how burst. fast can you go from zero to 50? That's what I'm more right. about. And I think this yep, cat, right. Jalen Milrow, has that ability. Yep. Now, again, the J, the Jalen Hurts comparisons are true. Jalen Hurts is a little bit more of a glider. This guy's probably a little bit quicker. Um, and, and here's the thing, though. I think both guys are very cerebral. I think both guys are definitely leaders. And here's what was a telltale sign to me that Jalen Milrow is a leader and a good cat. I went to the Texas board because I like Schadenfreude. I like to go check out other people's misery after we steal a commitment from them. And I went to the Texas Longhorn board. And, Jimmy, I must have seen 40 posts, and I didn't see a negative one. Everybody was like, I, you know, we wish him well. I hate that because he's such a good guy. Um, he seems like he's he's going to be a star. You know, when Alabama comes after you, it's hard to turn them down. Um, also, you know, with Quinn, it's easier for them to be a little bit yes. uh, sympathetic when Quinn Ewers gets on board, the number one prospect in the 2022 class. But that being said, you can never have enough quarterbacks. Look at Alabama right now. Our quarterback room isn't exactly jam-packed with people. We're social distancing just by being there in the quarterback room right now. Jimmy, let's go ahead and talk about um, Built Bar here for just a second. Uh, look, let me tell you what. You want to get that quarterback room crowded at Alabama? Put a big box full of Built Bar in there, and people will come flocking to there. Because I'm telling you, Built Bar is the absolute del most delicious, healthy bar I've ever had. Jimmy will vouch for me. It's delicious. They've got eight amazing flavors, six of them new. Listen to some of these new flavors. They're, they're kind of having a relaunch here. Go check out their website, BuiltBar.com. But some of these kick-ass flavors, caramel brownie, as, uh, how do you beat that? Cookies and cream. And then they got a little bit silly. Got a little bit Ben and Jerry's with this. Cherry Barcia. I like it. Lemon almond cheesecake. That's going to be up there on my favorite. But my favorite is going to be carrot cake. If they send me some carrot cake, if they send me a sample of Built Bar like they're supposed to, I would take all carrot cake. If, I, if they just said, just send me all carrot cake, I'm down with it. And apple almond crisp. Those are the new flavors. Um, they're soft. They're easy to chew. Uh, the bars are covered in 100% chocolate, 100% chocolate, not 80% chocolate and then 20% filler, 100% chocolate. And they're absolutely delicious. Go check out Built Bar and tell them you heard about them on the Locked On Network of podcasts. We would certainly appreciate it. Locked On Bama uh, is telling you to go buy Built Bar and Roll Tide and buy Built Bar. That's where we do it. Ooh, I'm excited. I was also nervous because you used the word flocking. That's a difficult word to use on a family podcast. So congratulations that you pulled that off. It is. And there have been many a times I've said the words you thought I was going to say on this podcast. <laughs> and I didn't advertisement. Um, okay. Snuck it past the censors. So, Jimmy, Jalen Milrow, we are yep. – um, first of all, I mean, we, we're thrilled about this. We This did kind of come out of the blue. I mean, you and I both right. have – uh, our own connections. And I spoke to my number one connection yesterday morning and just, you know, just about life in general, about other stuff. And we talked about Alabama and I said, are you going to be able to go to any games? And um, he said, Hey, I, you know, who knows right at this moment. He said, I, and he's about, he's, he's on up there in terms of the donor scale. So if he can't go, most of us aren't going. <laughs> That's the thing about him. Um, but so he didn't know anything about this uh, Jalen Milrow commitment because I asked
asked him about um, I asked him about potential commitments and what's coming up, and he said, "Yeah, there there are some that are certainly out there, but uh, of the names he mentioned, and I won't go into them, <clears throat> Jalen Milrow did not come up. So I think it was a real shock. Right, but man, out of nowhere about six o'clock last night, the Twitterverse blew up about." Jalen, you know, everybody look west, young man. And I think you and I were like, okay, could it be Luke Altemeyer? Could it be um, Jalen Milrow? And, you know, hey, look, Milrow I'm, is, is great for a number of reasons. But, you know, the other thing that happened yesterday, Jimmy, that had me just as excited was the schedule release. What do you think of it? <sighs> yeah, the Milrow thing came together yesterday afternoon. I would say sort of quickly, we've been recruiting Jalen Milrow for a couple of years, so nothing – that you do over a couple of years happens over just instantly. But, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not hard to figure out what happened here. I think Alabama had been working on Milrow to flip. He considered it. He considered it. He never shut it out. He wasn't sure. Then over the weekend, Texas gets a commitment from the number one 2022 quarterback in the nation. Milrow did the math, figured out, yeesh, they're going to be awfully excited about this guy who's younger than me. If he moves ahead of me, I'll never be the quarterback here. And at the same time, he's got Sark on the phone blowing him up. And and, and, and that's what happened. That's the timing. The timing is that. Uh, Texas getting the 2022 guy, Milrow using it as his his reason to flip. And, and, and that's what seemingly happened fast. But Alabama had put themselves in this position over the last two years. It's not something that Alabama just called this kid out of the blue on a, on a, on a Monday morning and said, Hey, have you thought about this? You know, Alabama have been talking to him for a long time, and and uh, I, I think the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, the commitment from the twenty twenty two kid. Um, as to the schedule, um, you know, the, the first thing that stood out to me was all the guessing that everybody had was just such a waste of bandwidth and brain width because it, it, it seemed it seemed a little random, although. There was obviously an attempt to keep games, traditional games, in their traditional spots, whereas Alabama will play Tennessee late October, not necessarily the third, but late October. Alabama playing Auburn, Ole Miss playing Mississippi State on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, there was obviously an effort to keep some things in approximately where they normally are. Other than that, I found the schedule very random, but Alabama sets up nicely. I like how Alabama's schedule is sort of away home, away home. Only two home games in a row. Uh, never a long streak of home games or, or many away games in a row. Uh, it's a home away, home away, which is a nice rhythm. Uh, I like opening against Missouri uh, in the one sense that it's a uh, it's an extremely winnable game for Alabama. You won't have to throw a lot of the freshmen. Uh, you know, into the deep end of the pool. Uh, it, it's just a manageable first game, and Alabama needs to play it, improve, and get ready because they got a real opponent in week two in terms of a, uh, a an opponent that could really push them, and that's Texas A&M in week two in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, um, that is certainly true, and I think that it is interesting <clears throat> that you look at uh, Alabama's schedule and you've got – Former assistant Lane Kiffin on October the third game, October tenth. Then uh, former assistant Kirby Smart on the seventeenth, and former assistant Jeremy Pruitt on the twenty fourth. So back to back to back former assistants for Nick Saban. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, you know that the main thing is that means when you're playing a a team that's coached by a former assistant coach, 
they're going to know your system really well. It's an advantage for them. Um, they, they know that there's not a lot of surprises. Jeremy Pruitt's not going, gosh, I wonder what Nick's defense is going to look like this year. He knows exactly what Nick's defense is going to look like, and Lane knows generally what the offense will look like. There's no surprises where Alabama has the advantage and why Nick Saban has never lost one of those matchups has nothing to do with familiarity of schemes. It has everything to do with the fact Alabama's got better players than Tennessee and Ole Miss and Texas A&M and pretty much everybody that's not Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, or the small list of teams that recruit at the same level Alabama does. So uh, that's the advantage. It's not schemes or scheme familiarity. Uh, you know, that hasn't meant anything in these matchups with former assistants. No, um, it hadn't. And, and again, most of these assistants have been gone so long that, you know, the way Saban is, things may have changed a lot. So that may not help them. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help them so much if you're like Ole Miss and you just don't have the same talent or Tennessee. Um, but I'll tell you that Tennessee game seems ominous to me. Uh, I know Tennessee's got some tough games before, right before Alabama, but Alabama plays uh, – the, the A&M game at home scares me a little because um, arguably – Kellen Mond is – well, he's not arguably. He is the most experienced coming back in the SEC, but he's right. arguably the best quarterback in the SEC coming into the season. And then you play Ole Miss with a tricky Lane Kiffin, and then you've got that huge game against Georgia. And then you're at Tennessee. You know, I certainly I think Alabama will be favored and probably be favored by double digits, but that one seems a little tricky. They're going to beat us one year. I, I, don't, I don't think it's this year, but it scares me. Um, and then the schedule sets up okay – I mean, there are a couple of things I would have, you know, obviously I want to make it as easy a path to the, the championship as possible. But, you know, when you're playing 10 games in the SEC, they're not going to be a ton of gimmies. And we knew exactly what uh, who we were playing. So nothing really jumps off the page at me necessarily. Uh, the, the open week before LSU, I, I'm thankful for that. Uh, that stretch of at LSU, at home, Kentucky, at home, Auburn is a little sketchy. Um, but, you know, maybe LSU just isn't going to be that good. Uh, I mean, LSU just had another kid and Kerry Vincent opt out. So that's the second defensive starter they've had opt out, along with all the guys they lost to the pros. So maybe LSU isn't going to be that big of a deal uh, yeah. when we – yeah, I, I see them taking a, a not just one step back, but a couple of steps back, and then the new coordinators on top of it and a new quarterback and Miles Brennan and, and it, it, you know – I overestimate Texas A&M every year, so let's just stop listening to me about Texas A&M because I'm permanently wrong. But if you ask me who's Alabama's biggest threat in the West, once again, I say it's A&M. And reason being is they are experienced. They do have the most experienced quarterback in the league. Jimbo Fisher was not hired to be a 7-5 and five coach over there. He's been there long enough and recruited well enough for multiple seasons now to where this should be a pretty loaded out and experienced A&M team uh, who, who was probably pretty good last year, but their schedule was just so brutal. It just uh, – they, they were just a better team than, than their record indicated. Kellen Mond, I know, is frustrating because, you know, he, he has a bad moment for every good moment he has. But uh, but he's an experienced guy. He's also very talented. I wouldn't blow off a guy that the NFL is really interested in, and, and the NFL is going to want to take a long look. I tell you, Kellen Mond reminds me of – and, again, I mean as a compliment, this kid's still in the NFL, and that's Josh Dobbs. 
who played at Tennessee that uh, when Tennessee was losing a lot, so everybody around the league is like, oh, Dobbs is terrible. <laughs> no, no, he was pretty good. He's just on a bad team. Uh, Kellen Mond's supporting cast is is improving. And uh, I, I see him as a, as a Josh Dobbs type guy. And Josh Dobbs is probably what, in about year four in the NFL now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got sort of a A.J. McCarron career arc going here, which is not a bad career arc. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's been a multi-year starter. He's made some big-time throws. He hasn't beaten many good teams. And for some reason, that's held against him. But gosh, you know, it's not one versus 22. He's got to get some help. And, and during the early part of Mon's career, their defense was bad. Now their defense is good, uh, and they've been slowly getting better uh, offensively. And uh, now I think A&M's ready. I, I think that's a really good team. Uh, but the SEC West is still the toughest division in the toughest conference in college football, and that, that takes its toll. You lose more games just playing in the SEC West by definition. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, okay, Jimmy, we're going to take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this schedule and another kid from Mobile commits to LSU. Is that a big deal? Anything else stand out about the schedule to you, Jimmy? Um, Not really, just just looking forward to it. I mean, it's just we wake up this morning and all of a sudden the first game is Missouri. And it's sort of fun in the sense that for the past two or three years, we've woken up and the first game of 2020 is against USC and Dallas. <laughs> now we wake yeah. up and the first game is against Missouri. So, and, and that's a team, let's be honest. I mean, you know, we, we could do a whole show on a, about if Missouri has been an addition or a subtraction to the SEC, but let's admit, I mean, of all the 14 teams in the SEC, Alabama and Alabama fans are still less familiar with Missouri than any other team in this league. So they don't have a lot of recognizable names to Alabama fans. Uh, they're sort of a mystery. But at the same time, this is a team that has won games. I know this sounds nuts, and it's my number one criticism about Alabama's team last year defensively. Yes, I know the injuries. We don't have to go over them again. I know the extent of the injuries. But this is a fact compare every number, even compare the schedule, and it is impossible to argue that Missouri wasn't better on defense last year than Alabama was. Missouri. So, and they fired their coach. That's how highly questionable Alabama's defense was. Missouri's numbers, just better across the board. And if anybody says, yeah, they don't play anybody, uh, they play in the same league Alabama does. Yeah. <laughs> they, they did not play a layup schedule uh, and, and had kind of a rough record, but that was due to the offense. But I'm just saying Missouri's pretty good defensively. And even though uh, they got linebackers, one hell of a player, Nick Bolton, uh, as good as any linebacker in the Southeastern Conference. So they got a, a you know a small handful of dudes. Uh, they signed a freshman receiver from Spanish Fort, uh, Alabama, that I liked a lot for his whole career down here, Chris Abrams Drain who was also an all-state point guard, uh, wide receiver quarterback at Spanish Fort High School, quarterback Spanish Fort to the state title game. Uh, Chris Abrams' dream will be a freshman receiver on this Missouri team. I bet he plays game one, real talented he kid. He committed to LSU one time. He was briefly committed to LSU, that's right, and then then woke up and wasn't committed there. And I guess, I guess he – I guess we're not supposed to ask a lot of questions about that, but yeah. <laughs> looks like we're not the only program that uh, that has this reputation for dumping kids. But uh, Chris Abrams drains a really good athlete, and uh, 
He's at Missouri. Sean Robinson, who I've seen play when he was an, a young player at TCU and, and off to a pretty good start in his career, should be the starting quarterback at Missouri this fall. He's very capable. So uh, interesting game, but I was outspoken last night about this, and it's not something I'm often outspoken about, but I, I, I commented to a Cecil Hurt tweet, uh, or Cecil quickly posted a, that there was already a line in the Alabama-Missouri game that Alabama was quickly a 19.5 point favorite over Missouri at Missouri in game one at one of the casinos in Las Vegas. And I, I quickly made a joke about, hey, I'm, I'm the last person anybody needs to listen to when it comes to wagering on football. I'm pretty terrible at it. But I would bet the gross domestic product of California on Alabama with, with only 19 and a half points. I, I, it's Alabama's experience on offense. I expect Alabama to play pretty well right out of the gate because Alabama is very experienced on offense. I agree. I, I mean, I would easily take that line. I mean, I thought that was seemed uh, very low. I thought it would be 28, um, to be honest. If you asked me yeah, before I saw I'm with what, what the line, I would go, uh, 28. I'm with and you. It was what, about the league, what about the league schedule in general? Was there anybody that you thought got railroaded? I mean, outside of who you had to play. I mean, Arkansas and Missouri were already under the gun. But um, yeah, is there it's, anybody Arcan that, it's Arkansas, but that's all about who they have to play as yeah. opposed to the, the timing of the games, which I haven't really studied uh, much for all around the league. But, you know, Arkansas drew the short straw. But, hey, this is just a fact. Arkansas is not very good, so that exacerbates the problem. Their schedule is exacerbated by the fact that they aren't good. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, they're in the toughest division in football, and you've got to play every West team. We can't cry because Arkansas has to play Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M and Auburn. They have to play them every year. <laughs> and it's particularly daunting when they're no good. Uh, Arkansas's problem in terms of like, you know, what, you know, what their real issue is, is the top three teams in the East this year are projected to be Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. Somehow Arkansas is playing all of them. And, and that is A, partially outrageous, and B, just the way the numbers worked out, somebody had to do it. And mm -hmm. uh, it could have been Alabama or Auburn, who was already playing two of the three. I think you could almost see the SEC deciding, you know what? It sure would make a lot of money for the league if Alabama or Auburn was in the playoffs. <laughs> and Arkansas has zero shot at the playoffs. Yeah. Let's stick it to them. So we don't schedule ourselves out of an opportunity to get a team into the playoffs. So, or have a team so beat up, you know, by the end of the year that they can't have success. So, you know, I, I feel bad for Arkansas, but I also see a little bit of the logic in it. And Arkansas is just going to have to recruit their way out of this hole. Yeah. And, and again, you're right. It is Arkansas because you could have, any way you line up Arkansas's opponents, it's going to look like, it's going to be a Herculean task to to get through this. I mean, they're going if they win two games, they they probably get a golden fleece and some other shit Hercules got. Is <laughs> there's no way they can survive this thing. Um, but that being said, look, if you want to feel like you're getting more um, more favoritism from the conference, be better. And I know it's it's it, it's it sounds so simple and cliche, but that's true. I mean, in the 
it, when Roy Kramer was in charge, Alabama was getting the shit into the stick. It seemed like every time there was a stick. So we weren't very uh, good back then. That was part yeah. of the problem. We weren't very and, good. We, we were nothing again, like we are now. But that's what I'm saying is that if you're better, the better you are, the more breaks it the seems more, you get. The more get. breaks you get. That is, that is so mm-hmm. true. Fans don't accept that. But that is just a fact. Where do we complain? Where do we complain about not getting calls at Lexington, at Rupp Arena? Well, no shit, we don't get calls there. We're playing against a team three times better than us about every year. You know, uh, you know, wh- wh- where where is it really tough to win on the road? Nobody ever says, you know, nobody ever says, well, you know where it's really tough to win? Vanderbilt's, you know, or gosh, I'll tell you another place that's tough to win is at Arkansas. Nobody's saying that lately because they're just not very good teams. Uh, it's tough to win on the road at Auburn. Well, guess what? Auburn's pretty freaking good most years. And, 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 and it's tough to win in the swamp, and it's tough to win at LSU. Well, no shit, their, te- their team's really good. So, uh, you know, that's the way it is. If, 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 you, if you don't feel you're getting all the breaks, here's an idea. Get better. Yeah, because when you get better, miraculously, you'll get more breaks. Now, I mean, sometimes there, there is such – I do believe in luck. I'm not one of those people who say, you, you make your own luck. There is such a thing as luck. But, you know, not everything that happens against you means that there is a conspiracy or that, that you are a victim of bad luck. I mean, sometimes you're just not good. And Arkansas just not good. I mean, it, it's – again, th- there's no schedule that you put together in the SEC that you say, man, Arkansas, they got a shot to make a move here. They don't have a shot. And, again, that is, I'm not trying to piss off Arkansas fans. It's funny that um, – as if a shitload of Arkansas fans are listening to this. But um, <laughs> um, Paul Feinbaum yesterday had a had – a, he said – an Arkansas guy called in and said, Paul, you, you're not giving us much of a chance. And he goes – Basically, you're damn right. I'm not giving you much of a chance. <laughs> yeah, Why would I do that? Correct. I'm, I'm a professional, and I do this for a living, and would lose my credibility if I said Arkansas had a chance to do anything. And so another Arkansas fan called in and said, "Man, well, why? Why do we even play?" And, you know, Paul was essentially like, "I don't know." It, I don't know why you're playing either. You don't play. Yeah, you're playing for 2022 is what you're playing for. They haven't won a conference game since what 2017. I mean, again. I, I'm not going to listen to the cries of a team that hadn't won a conference game in two years, saying the schedule's too tough. I mean, it's, I'm sorry, you've got to you've got to do something to prove your worth. And um, again, they they just got to, and and they haven't done it. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about Lucas Taylor really quickly. He has committed to LSU out of St. Paul's. Is that right? St. Paul's. Yep. Yeah. Really good um, player. You like him a lot. And um, I, I think he, he probably is a good player. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I know a ton about him right now. Um, but uh, you, you know, feel like maybe Alabama was slow playing him a little bit? I don't know if Alabama was slow playing him or, or if, uh, you know, if you want to call it a failure to prioritize. We are talking about a 2022 guy, and there's so much time left. And, and it's very possible Alabama could get back in this and flip him. Alabama flips kids all the time. As a matter of fact, Alabama flipped a kid 12 hours ago. So, I'm not going to pretend like that doesn't happen. And, of course, it could happen. It's just a little frustrating that, uh, you know, you have an in-state kid who I think is a slam dunk national top 100 prospect. I mean, this isn't like a, hmm, should you take him or should you not? This is a this is a kid that next year 
when the when the top 100 list comes out and people start paying attention to the 2022 list, which generally happens in February, but next February, when you pull up the 2022 list to say, okay, new cycle starting over, who, who are the names this year? Lucas Taylor should rightfully be somewhere, in my opinion, around 60 to 80. Uh, I wouldn't even think it's outrageous if he slipped all the way to 90 or 95. Uh, he could be in that range. And like I said, about as high as 60. He is a uh, check every box offensive lineman. He's a versatile. He's a tackle in high school. He's probably a guard in the SEC or a center. But can he play tackle? Yes, he could play tackle. He's got the feet for it. Uh, his best trait is here's a kid who naturally weighs 290 pounds, but is very light on his feet, which says tackle, pretty long arms, plays for a good program, got offered by three or four SEC schools in the ninth grade. I mean, that's how uh, talented this kid is. And uh, I don't believe he has an Alabama offer. If he does, he certainly wouldn't be a guy that's been high priority to this point. Uh, but he committed to LSU, and now Alabama's got a, a year and a half to fix it uh, if they decide they they want him. And uh, and really, they should. I don't think offensive line will be a massive priority in 2022 because Alabama signed in such an incredible group in 2021. Uh, so it won't be a high priority position. And for all I know, Alabama's like, well, we didn't want him. We're definitely going to get these four other kids who are just better players. Hey, if that's the case, then I'd, I'd defer to the greatest to ever do it, Nick Saban. But just saying it, it is still a little disappointing when an in-state kid of, 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 of his ability uh, commits to an out-of-state rival. Uh, I, I 100% agree with you. And I also 100% agree that I'm, I'm pro-Nick Saban. If Nick Saban wants it, I'm for it. That being said, it feels like we are borrowing. Um, we are leveraging out-of-state commitments now against losing in-state commitments later. <clears throat> you look at this year, if you you and I believe uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry probably ends up at Auburn now. It's not a done deal, but I do think he ends up at Auburn as of this moment. That would mean the top five players probably in the top 224-7 uh, are committed to places other than Alabama. And, and in fact, Alabama's two main rivals in Tennessee and Auburn. And so they're going to lose the top five players in Alabama this year. And and really out of the top 10, Alabama doesn't have a ton. Um, and then they've already lost one for next year. And again, look, Alabama's casting a wide, a worldwide net practically in terms of recruiting. And I get that and I'm all for it. The key is going to be the next staff that comes in is either A, I'm going to have to keep up the incredible recruiting success nationwide that Alabama's been having, or B, they're going to have an uphill climb trying to get back into some of these local high schools. Now, Alabama is still Alabama. It might not be as big of an uphill climb as I think. Maybe I'm being a bit of a pessimist. Um, but all you have to do is look at Tennessee, who under Phil Fulmer in the heyday was notorious for casting that nationwide net. And then when the net kind of got a bunch of holes in it, all of a sudden, they weren't getting guys nationwide or guys at home. And now they've been in a shitty little rut for 20 years. That's right. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. It just it just feels like, and again, we're not complaining about Nick Saban's recruiting. That's kind of like complaining about Shaq's dunks. I mean, yeah. there's nothing to complain about. Recruiting is going great. Now, 
All we do is discuss recruiting every single day. So we have to, we have, to have something to discuss. And here's an interesting thing to discuss. We don't seem to prioritize in-state kids over out-of-state kids. It's more like we have a board and the board is devoid of geography. It could be that Lucas Taylor commits to LSU last night and Nick Saban goes, well, that's no big deal. He's ninth on our board. We're, we're in good shape for the first eight, even though those first eight are from all over the United States, <laughs> California, Texas, <laughs> New York, wherever, Australia. Uh, and, and it could be, then they just look at it like that. But don't tell us that, you know, Alabama kids get recruited first and, and, and we get shut out of the top, you know, six, seven, eight kids in Alabama. That's, that, that, that feels disingenuous. All right, Jimmy, that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. We will be back with another podcast on Friday, and I'm sure a lot of shit will have happened between now and then. So until then, roll tide. Roll tide.